Welcome to Be Your Own Best Coach with JJ, the podcast. I believe that the best coach you can ever have is that one person that is staring straight back at you every morning in the mirror, you. Join me in discovering some key strategies so that you can create an empowered life and inspire others to live theirs. Your journey to being your own best coach starts right now. In 2012, Simone O'Brien suffered a horrific domestic violence attack after breaking up with her then partner. He came to her home and with a baseball bat, he brutally hit Simone in front of her children up to 50 times, nearly killing her. Now, this is amazing. If you think about the statistics of what happens in Australia alone, there is more than one person a year, a week, dying from domestic violence. And that doesn't even include the children that are involved in domestic violence. Simone is on a mission to help prevent domestic violence and to educate the community about the risks. And I'm so excited and thrilled to have the honour of Simone O'Brien online today to talk to, her, to talk to us about her story. So welcome, Simone. Thank you so much for having me, Janelle. My absolute pleasure. So tell, give, give a little bit of a, an elevator speech about who you are. Tell everyone who you are. Um, I'm a mum of three amazing children and... What has happened in my life has, has turned my life around and now I don't let anything beat me and um, I don't give up until I've succeeded. Wow. And I, I, before I had this call, Simone, and I know you fairly well, I went onto your website and looked at some old videos of you, some old mm-hmm. interviews on, was it 60 Minutes? A Current Affair. A current affair, uh, yeah. and on a yeah. current affair, and I've just seen the growth in you, uh, and the strength mm-hmm. in you now, uh, bringing your message to the world. It's just been you know, a phenomenal journey seeing you you grow and the strength that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about your mission. What's your mission? Um, now I want to protect. Um, well, it doesn't have to be just females, but either either sex and children uh, from domestic violence because it's something that I never knew about growing up um, up until the age of 37 and my children didn't know and my mum and dad knew nothing either. It wasn't um, in our family. So I want to bring it, you know, the red flags to, to all of us, what we need to look at now because it's um, domestic violence is in an epidemic um, where, where everyone is just dying from it um, under the same roof and we've got to all stand up and speak out and you know I know it has been an embarrassing topic um, and that's what I want to change that that it's into a positive topic to help save each other. Yeah absolutely and we were chatting before uh, this call Simone in regards to we're going through COVID-19 at the moment and the first yeah. thing I thought about was people that are locked up in a house in a domestic violence situation and and how this situation must be impacting families right now. Absolutely. And it's not just the adults that it impacts. It impacts the children because 
going to school is a safe place for them. They yeah. get to get away from, from what is happening. So, yeah, absolutely. And that's where the women, you know, or the men, if it's either sex, can't, um, can't, can't go anywhere. You know, yeah. that's basically it's, it's who's in your home is who, is who you can see. And I'm really thrilled that you're bringing up both sexes because I know in the past I've coached males that have also gone through domestic violence. And one of the males I coached, he went to the police. Uh, he went to the police to get some help and he was told to man up. So, you know, it does happen in both, it, you know, male and females. That it, it, it's, it's right out there. Absolutely. And, you know, I've had um, high-end men contact me, you know, Simone, do you know of a good, I live in this area, do you know of a good counsellor? Like they want to change their children's mindset that of seeing, you know, in that case, what the mother had, was doing um, to him. So it's not just, um, it's not just men being the perpetrators, it can be females as well. Yeah, and it, there can be a lot of guilt associated with living in that environment or embarrassment. Absolutely. What would yep. your What would your advice be for people that are living in that environment right now, or maybe feeling those in, being embarrassed or not telling anyone? Yep. Re- reach out to your neighbours. Um, that's it's a good way of sign. You could send them. Um, send them a note or even just let them know in, in a, another roundabouts way that you are in trouble, that you do need help, but don't be embarrassed about it. And that's that's what we need to get that stigma out of domestic violence is it's it's not embarrassing. We need to just yeah. help each other. And I know that yeah. wavered a little bit off your question, but, um, you know, being so isolated, um, you know, you can just even throw a, a note bomb over next to your next door neighbour and say, you know, get me help, ring the police, and it's not nothing to be embarrassed about. Yeah, absolutely. And looking back, Simone, before this incident, even before uh, meeting this person, and I won't even mention that person's name because it's it doesn't deserve to be mentioned. No, thank you. Uh, what, 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 who were you as a person? Then um, I was a very busy mum, obviously separating from the children's um, biological father. And once again, there was no domestic violence there because we just had too much money too young and we, we separated amicably because he just wanted to take me away every weekend and, and not the children. So uh, separating away from him, it was, you know, just losing your best friend, which, you know, you can do that, you know, each and every day. And so then I was a, a busy mum being um, a single mum with, with three three children who were very young at the at the beginning. And, um, you know, I was working two jobs to, to finance, you know, them all in their private schoolings and their sporting ability, which was at state level. So, yeah, I was a busy, had control of my life, um, knew what was happening. Lo- I did love having a beer, but I didn't go to, you know, pubs or nightclubs. I just enjoyed at home with... Um, family and friends with the children um, doing that. So I felt like I had control of my, my own life then um, up until, yeah, the, the perpetrator stepped in. Yeah. So tell, tell me about the lead up to that. How did, how did you meet this person and how did it all unfold? Sure. And I got to the age of 37 and um, at that stage the children were 15, 12 and 10 and I thought, oh, maybe I am young enough to have, 
you know, another partner in my life. And, um, you know, because you think you're just running around after children, you're like an old grandma. But um, being 37, um, yeah, maybe I could still have someone. um, And not going out, you know, to pubs and clubs by myself, you know, didn't go out anywhere without the children. I thought, how am I going to meet someone? And that's um, that's where I did get onto the internet dating site. Um, and I thought, you know, scrolling through, I'm not IT savvy that, um, you know, I would find someone on there. And and that's where I, I did. I thought I did. And um, uh, for my own safety and the children's safety, I seen there was a, a um, real estate man on there. And because I'd been in um, real estate myself prior to, the children um, coming along, I knew with a real estate licence you had to have a police check to get your licence. And that was my safety note is why I actually clicked on him yeah. was thinking that he was an innocent guy and had no no records, you could say, um, out there in our world. And that's basically why I clicked on him. And, you know, being well-groomed in a shirt and tie as, as real estate men do look, it was, you know, your ideal man. Yeah, yeah. And then so... What then transpired after that? How long were you together for? Um, we were only together for a period of nine months. Um, and the first, yeah, yeah the first couple of um, weeks, it, oh, I was only, you know, I was happy just with texting because it was new to me too to have someone else. And that was um, only at nine o'clock at night. Um, I did um, interact with him on the text messages because I worked two jobs and I wanted to get the children. They were still always my priority. Um, you know, getting them homework done, bathed and fed and et cetera. And so after a couple of weeks, it then turned into he asked if he could ring me. It turned into phone calls. Um, and then obviously through the phone calls, at, still at 9 o'clock at night, he said, could we go out on a date? And um, so that did turn into a date. And then, and he did actually, on the first date, he did bring me flowers and he paid for dinner, which was really nice. Um, but then after that, um, it was little red flags grew and you know they he never said the word even s-h-i-t in front of myself or the children um he was uh, um, at that stage a, a gentleman he would even open the car doors for myself and the children to get into but the little red flags were the obsessiveness of sending me lots of flowers not just you know one every couple of a bunch every couple of weeks it was every day it was making me feel, right. yeah, just making me feel sick in the tummy. And then um, and deleting contacts out of my phone, um, you know, obviously I was blaming my, my little boy Zach because he was playing on my phone and I've never had any problems with Zach deleting contacts before. And, of course, he's saying, Mummy, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. And it was happening, you know, five or six times and that's, you know, I just, my, my gut instinct just said it's, it's him um, doing it. And even going out um, to dinner, which I didn't mind the first couple of times um, when I was introducing him to my friends and, you know, I'd pay and, you know, put it on my credit card. Um, and it, I didn't notice that those couple of times that money was going missing out of my wallet. But then every other time we'd go out, he'd go, oh, damn, I forgot my wallet. Um, like it was a trigger point for me. And then I, then yeah. I was noticing, you know, how you have one bill per table and so I was paying it for it on my card and getting the cash off my friends and that money was going missing. I um, mean, of course, once again, Zach was getting a blame for that. But, you know, this poor little boy saying, Mummy, it wasn't me, you know. So, you can, you, you know, little red flags that change when other people are around. So it's 
just those little red things. He never, never, you know, lifted a hand or anything. Um, yeah, it was like he was a, a gentle giant, to be honest with you. But those, those wow. little red flags were enough to um, make me want to end the relationship. And, you know, because I hadn't been experienced um, in a relationship either since the biological father was just enough to think, no, I want to get out of get out of here I don't I don't feel comfortable um with with you know with it which was probably um not fair for him on my on on his behalf because I that were probably really um blase not really big red flags but you know what I've since learned that little red flags grow into big red flags really quickly yeah yeah, yeah. so you knew somewhere instinctively yeah that something was yeah, wrong. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And so then so you broke up with him yep. and did the incident happen on that day? Yes, yep, that night. I um I rang a friend on Saturday the twenty third of September and two thousand and twelve. Um and she said, Let's let's do it on Monday. And you know what? That was a big relief for me telling someone that I was even just gonna end a relationship. I felt like a little kid actually, but um it was yeah. like, oh, someone else knows what I'm doing. Um, and not that I, you know, knew about domestic violence or anything. I, You know, it was just that I felt safe. And so I did it on yeah. Monday after I dropped the children at school, heading into into the train, into the CBD. And um, admittedly, I didn't speak to him all day. Um, I didn't answer any text messages, but the um, CIB and the police said, you know, there were hundreds of text messages on my phone. Um, and it wasn't until I got home at six o'clock and um, Zach was actually at basketball training and the two girls were at home and Gabby always started cooking dinner for me and they were at the bench and I, you know, went in and asked them how the day was and then um, I said, oh, mummy ended the relationship today and Gabby did the big fist pump. She was so excited and Ashlyn said, will he come back, mummy? Yeah. And I said, no, you know, definitely not, you know, when you end a relationship like thinking it was just going to be like their biological father, you know, teaching them life skills. And by 6.06 there was a knock at the door and it was the perpetrator. Yeah. And I thought, well, I've got to teach the children respect that I hadn't spoken to him and I thought I've got to give him respect, you know, to let him come in and have a chat about it and that's all he wanted to do. And that's that's when from 6.06 to 6.16 the – he asked me to go into my bedroom and to talk about it, you know, away from the girls, and that's when my life changed for forever. Wow, mm. wow. And so what do you remember of the actual incident? Um, I remember my arm. I remember walking into the room um, and falling over and, and getting on the ground and um, the police and investigators don't know if he actually pushed me or I tripped because I still had my work clothes on with my high heels. And then um, yeah, next minute I look up from falling down and there he stood in front of me with a baseball bat and it was coming down um, on my left arm and obviously I put that up to shield myself and he hit that three or four times. I can remember that and I then yelled out to the girls, you know, to come in and help mummy and I honestly thought I was going to die because I didn't know how I was going to get up off the ground and past him um, with this broken arm. And the girls looked at me as if say, Mummy, you can you can get out of it. You can do anything. You can fix the car, fix the house, da-da-da. And, um, yeah. you know, but, no, I just I thought I was going to die. But And the girls did run out and got help for me. Um, but in that meantime, that 10 minutes, 
that's when I endured all the, the blows with the, the baseball bat to the face, um, in which then left me fighting for my life. Wow. And what were your injuries that you Yes, Yes, um, on the right side of my face is all now titanium plated. I've lost my right eyesight completely and will never get it back. I've got an implant on my cheekbone and all my jawline was all smashed in um, to the extent that I could only open my mil- my mouth to two mil, which you can't even fit a, a skinny little lolly in. Um, so everything was, you know, battered and bruised and obviously the uh, uh, my, my bones ended up outside the skin. Wow. Mm. And were you were you in a coma, Simone? Yeah, they actually, yeah. That, were you in they actually put me in an induced coma um, at the scene because I, the swelling of my your brain with any head injury, um, you just swell immediately and they knew that I would actually die before I got to hospital um, because it would block my airways. But do you know what? Luckily, um, and this is where now I, you know, turn my life into a, into a positive um, I sent, have since met the ambulance officers who um, had to come to the scene to save my life and they said I was in excruciating pain, which I don't remember um, being in any pain. But they said that um, I was lucky that I did get, you know, that 45 to 50 hits to my skull because it actually shattered my skull, um, which gave my brain breathing space when it was swelling. So my skull was actually separating and moving as my um as my brain was swelling and that's what actually did save my life wow that's that's phenomenal so how many was the 52 yep. operations yep. that you up had up to date i've had yep 52 and what sort of uh you know what process did you have other than the you know how did you recover? What was your recovery yeah, well, like? You know, as I as I still speak to you, Janelle, um, I'm like a prisoner in my own body for the rest of my life. Um, I will have to have treatment. Um, you know, especially like for my eye. Um, at present, I'm in the process of um, getting a new eye cap. Um, on my eye, which sits over top of my dead eye, because my face has changed with all the operations and it this cap now actually leaks so um but i can't uh, I, it's on hold as i speak because of the covid um obviously i'm not allowed to go back into the hospital to get it done um so it will be done you know as as time prevails and my jaw if i um don't keep having jaw physio for the rest of my life well i won't even be able to eat eat that full lolly um type of thing so i've yeah. got to have work on me for the rest of my life and when um each and every day, um, like in the morning, it takes me an hour to dress up and an hour at night to dress up. But that's not clothes-wise when I say dress up and dress down. That's to, to treat my wounds and, and look after myself as in um, what I have to do on a daily basis, day and night, just to to walk and talk. and um, So it's it's a forever thing for me now and um, something that I've I've had to learn to live with. Yeah, from from a, a personal point of view in regards to who you are, mm-hmm. how has this? How have you changed from this experience? Because a lot of people can go through a traumatic event, and they can stay in that that yeah. event 
they can stay in that sadness. They can stay in that. Um, I often I've coached people that have been in domestic violence situations, um, and when I initially coach them, they'll talk about it as if it was still happening, yeah. and so they they can still live yeah. it. Whereas you have got, it's like you've got the fuel from what happened, and you, you instead of. Uh, making it all about you and, and continuing the suffering, it's like you're saying, I'm out here to serve and make sure that this doesn't happen to anyone else Absolutely. out there. I mean, where did that strength, where did that strength come from, Simone? Um, that I can um, honestly say that up until the age of 37, um, like, you know, you love being a mum and looking after your children, but, you know, I never loved and respected myself. Um, but you know what, even though yeah. I look strange and weird now, I, I've got so much love and respect for myself. And each and every day having that and each and every day um, I say to myself three simple things, that's just stay positive, never give up and keep smiling. And those three things have got me through where I am now. And um, I now obviously, um, as you know, do a lot of motivational speaking around Australia and internationally and it's something, yeah. um, and I can always remember my, my little boy saying to me, Mummy, how do you get up and speak? We, we're not speakers. Do you know what? It's it's yeah. just now I just want to help that next person. I don't want anyone to have to go through what I've been through. Yes, I've been through the worst and I don't want them to do that. You know, I suppose my heart is so big for everyone that I just want to help everybody. Yeah. And as you know, um we, the people that I've worked with in regards to public speaking, training people in public speaking, one one of the things that people bring up a lot is, you know, they, about themselves. It's like I don't look good enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not, uh, you know, educated enough or I'm not pretty enough. You know, we have so many people having these, having a great message but they have this negative self-talk that holds them back. Yep. And yet here is you, Simone, and you say you say that you look funny. Well, you don't you look beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> you're gorgeous. But, you're, you know, you've gone through all of this physically, uh, you know, having 52 operations, you've, you know, lost the sight in one eye, you've had all this, you know, happen to you, yet you stand up in front of, you know, hundreds of people, mm-hmm. and you speak from the heart. Yeah. I mean, how challenging was that at first for you? Because I can imagine, you know, it's like an identity yeah. shift yeah. that one minute you're someone and the next minute you're a different version of yourself. So, so true. So initially, yeah, so how did, initially, how did you, uh, how did you navigate through that? Like the first time you looked in the mirror, for instance, yeah. You know, how did you navigate through that process? Yeah. The hardest um, thing navigating is, do you know what, I had to really think to myself, how am I going to live with one eye? That was, that was, that was tough. Yeah. But, um, um, oh, what was I going to say on that? Oh, I've lost my train of thought now, getting up. Um, sorry. I've lost my train of thought. No, it's okay. <laughs> I think I asked ten questions yeah, in one. Yeah, <laughs> but it was yeah. So about how you when you know you, it's like a, a change in who you thought you were, yeah. and then who you are. 
you know, and who you were the next, you know, the next week, you're a completely different person. And you know what, I even, um, when when I'm here at home um, as a mum and then I get up and speak if it's in front of a thousand people or whatever, I have to pinch myself to think, wow, did I really do that? And, you know, it's, but it's such a a healing process. Um, That's my message too. It's so healing speaking about it day in and day out um, to other people because you're helping that next person and they are taking weight off your shoulders because then they want to help in the same um, area of domestic violence. So it's knowing you're getting rewards out of of what you're doing, out of something so negative. Um, And so it's a positive for me straight away thinking, well, I've got up and spoken, at least I can help that next person and they can help the next person. So it's a roll-on effect. Yeah. Would you have ever, before this incident, would you ever have thought that you were going to be a public speaker, speaking in front of hundreds of people? Was that something that you <laughs> thought that you were capable of or that you wanted to do? No way. No way. Absolutely not. <laughs> no oh, I couldn't think of. Um, <laughs> no, that would be my, my worst fear, uh, to be honest. I wow. And at school I can remember I had to get up and do a, what is it, two-minute speech and you have your little cards um, up in front of you. Um, and now I don't take any notes and I can, you know, talk for an hour or so depending on, you know, different questions and that. So, yeah, it's a totally different life. Um, but in a, in a, out of such a negative thing now, such a positive thing has come out and, um, you know, I'm just so, so glad I'm able to help other people. Beautiful. How, what would be your message? You talk about the red flags. Yeah. What sort of, what would be your message around the red flags? What do the red flags look like? Well, what did they look like for you? And I'm sure you've heard lots of different stories of other yeah. people's own red flags. What have they looked like um, that, you, that you've experienced? Yeah, well, as I, as I um, sort of mentioned earlier, my red flags, you know, anyone would have thought they were minor, you know, deleting contacts, stealing money, you know, that's something a, a 10-year-old you know, can do, you know, sending flowers. No one would ever think that they're red flags. But you know what? As I mentioned, little red flags go into big red flags. So if if he's or she is, you know, pinching you and you're not liking it, you you can react. And, of course, then he or she is going to think, well, you know, I'm going to go harder. Then they'll turn into a punch. And that's when, you know, it can escalate so quickly. Um, So... You know, going from the name calling to controlling your money, it's, um, you know, if you're allowed $50 for the week and you're not allowed to spend over it, that that can turn into, you know, a nightmare in, in such a quick instance. So there, any little red flag is a big red flag. I just want everyone to, to realise that. And if you're not happy with something in, a, in your gut feeling that, you know, you're being controlled or anything in any little way, it's a red flag so don't just push it under the carpet and think oh he loves me he's gonna get better because it won't it'll only get worse and that's where I say that letter bomb to your neighbors at this crucial stage that we're in this COVID it it could save your life yeah and I love your your analogy about that pinch could turn into a punch and also to know that you know I think it's so sometimes we don't trust our Mm -hmm. instincts 
And as you said, someone could be saying, oh, you know, the guy I'm going out with or the girl I'm going out with buys me flowers all the time and but it doesn't yeah. feel right. Um, because from an outsider's point of view, they might go, oh, that's nice. That's a really nice thing to do. And I'm sure there are people that that are doing those sorts of things um, that, that aren't someone that's going to, um, you know, be violent. Uh, but I think it's that gut instinct uh, that w- that we have to, as human beings, really yeah. tap into even yeah. and more. And that's on. that can be a those red flowers. That, that's a controlling thing too. Like if you want, if I unpack my that um, him sending me flowers to work, if you unpack that, that is a controlling line. That because I wasn't in a relationship for so long, he then was trying to control my friends to say she's in a relationship now. So that's his way, in a nice way, of saying Simone's got a boyfriend now um, to my work colleagues that that didn't know um, that he was around. Yeah. So that's how we've got to unpack all the the little red flags, if, if we can say. Yeah. So now you're you're speaking all around Australia. You're so busy speaking. Um, what is the the strong message that you're getting out there in the community? What's your main message? You know, it's not embarrassing. And yeah. if you know, if if the home, if if the younger children, our younger generations, and it can be even if the baby's still in the womb, they can actually know that there's signs of domestic violence outside and we don't want little Johnny or, or little little Belinda starting school at, at grade five thinking that punching and swearing and everything is, is the norm because she looks up to her mum and dad and because that's all she sees we've got to change this bicycle wheel and get all that respect back into life and let them know that domestic violence isn't okay. Yeah what, what are the what are the great things that you've learned about yourself in this journey, um, Simone? Um, as I mentioned earlier, that um, I love and respect myself, and I have I've had to put yeah. myself number one to, to recover. Even though my children, yeah. even though my wow. children are just behind me, but that's probably been my my biggest thing is um, having to drop them down to number two slightly. Then um, yeah, so re- and. F- Put your own oxygen mask on first and then you can give it to others. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And how do you continue to empower your mindset? Because I can imagine the whole, you know, it wasn't, if you think back, um, you know, in in all all of that time from 2012, we're now in 2020 Mm -hmm. uh, at this podcast, all of the the, 52 operations and recovery and all of that, um, how have you continued to empower your mindset? Running. What things do <laughs> running, you do? Yes, running, yes. And, yeah. um, and, you know, in saying that, you know, I had to learn how to walk again and talk again and eat again, even to do my bra up again um, with my arm you know, being so broken. But, you know, what? I was asked to run the New York Marathon, um, and which is the world's biggest marathon, and, you know, what? I actually completed that. Um, for us women and children in Australia, just to prove to everyone we don't give up, we keep going, we can do anything we want to if we set our mindset to it. And that was, that's been my, my biggest thing. In, and it, I proved to myself that we can do anything. Yeah. Wow. And who you're inspiring so many people. 
Who inspires you? My children, <laughs> if I can say yeah. that. Um, just, um, yeah. I, suppose I, I love seeing them, how they've turned their lives around. Like obviously they're still going through such a traumatic time day in and day out seeing me, but, you know, there can be little flickers back all the time, but seeing them, you know, succeed now um, in, in even in this COVID time, you know, my eldest daughter has just started her teaching degree this year and, um, you know, she's going through this strange time of teaching through Zoom and different things and she's just a newbie. So it's, um, yeah, look, I everything little puts a smile on my face to see them achieving things. Yeah, love it. And so what's next for Simone O'Brien? What you, You're changing the world one day at a time, yeah, one person at a time. Yeah, what's no, next and for obviously um, keeping going with with all that and obviously in the next two and a half weeks um, my story is about to hit a UK magazine which couldn't be at any better time than, than the time we're in now with what's going on over there. Um, and also I'm meant to be, um, I do a lot of work with the police here in Australia, but I've been asked and my yeah. flights are booked to head to New Zealand with the New Zealand police in June. So that may not prevail in June. It may be pushed. I'll see how it goes. But um, look, just, yeah, keep touching base with it doesn't matter what sex we are, what nationality we are, you know, whether we're, black or white what language you speak I just want to keep helping um each and every one of us and you know I'm doing a lot of work with Monash University in um the different nationalities and that's you know they're trying to um translate my story around to their different um nations as well so it's it's just growing by the day and um I'm just happy to help each and every one of them yeah oh, you're amazing and and what if anyone needs support and they can pick up the yes. phone, who would you tell them to, to call? call? Um, or do you know what? Even to ring yeah. the police. That's my biggest thing is yeah. uh, any little thing, If you, you know, like my little red flags, don't hesitate to ring. We've just got to get everything documented and, you know, get your situation followed because then you'll be looked after. Police will will drive by, you know. It's it's. It's not scary to contact police. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there'll be lots of business owners and head people that are head of business listening to this call, and thinking, wow, there's, there might be, you know, staff Absolutely. in their business. There's, you know, how do we educate, yep. educate our staff and the people so that we have a. Uh, you know, we have a culture of not accepting domestic yeah. violence. Um, how can they get in yeah. touch with you, Simone? Because I know you do, you speak all yeah. around Australia. How can someone get in touch with you to yep, book you for um, speaking? There's my website, um, which is simoneobrien.com.au, which, you know, you can send me a message um, through that. Um, or otherwise I am on, I've got a domestic violence Facebook page um, and I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn as well if you want to get in contact with, with me through through LinkedIn as well. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I really want to thank you so much, Simone, for everything you do for humans out there that, uh, you know, you're educating people around uh, trying to prevent and stop 
domestic violence. I mean, everything you do, uh, you know, some people, you you will know some people that you're touching and helping, but there's so many more people out there, Simone, that you may not even know that you're helping um, and you could be preventing, well, you are preventing people getting either hurt Absolutely. or death um, due to your mission and your passion for what you do. And I'm so inspired by you that you stand up there and you have a voice and your messages speak up. Um, and I'm sure that there are people listening to this call, whether they're a perpetrator and they need to go out and get some support and, and to for them to get some therapy or whatever mm -hmm. they need to do, or if you're in that situation and you need to to be able to get some support um, and get out of that situation, that there's someone like you that's out there um, helping and educating people on, you know, the horrible events that happen in, in Australia and all around the world. So no, thank, thank you, you so much me. and I really appreciate thank you your for having time. Me. <laughs> thank My you. My pleasure. <laughs> Thanks. Bye, bye, bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Be Your Own Best Coach with JJ. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and follow me on Instagram at JJ Speaker Coach. And remember to live with insatiable passion, create an empowered life and inspire others to live theirs.